Okay, enough of that fellowship and loving each other and all that stuff. There's a limit, you know. Good morning to you. I'm glad that you are here today. Let's let's reaffirm together again what we're doing. Um, we're here because we believe God is. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. You believe that? And so we bring ourselves together as a community because... We are believers. We're believers in God. We're seekers, and we're believers. And and we believe that there is a great God in heaven. You believe that? That He is the one who created us and sustains us. Do you believe that? We believe that He is big and good and holy. And we believe that He has a design for us. Do you believe that? We believe that He knows the best way to live life. You believe that? We believe that he has given to us what we call his word. That he has made sure that some things were written down that are his story and his will for us. So that we would know him and be able to actually read it. You believe that? We believe that's the authority of God given to us. And so we put ourselves under God and under his word. Do you believe that? So do you have a Bible today? Yes, Let me see it. Hold it up if you will. So we're like under the word of God today. Right? And we believe in that. Some of you help your phones. <laughs> How many of you have carried the Bible on your phone? Interesting, isn't it? Wow. Okay, turn if you would. Flip to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing. If you're visiting with us here today, we have been working our way through the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus that we call Ephesians. We're in chapter 6 now, the last chapter of Ephesians. We spent some three weeks focusing on marriage and family. And, and we did that on purpose because we are greatly concerned about marriages and families. But the greater reason we did that is because we know that God is greatly concerned about marriages and families. He's concerned about our marriages and our families, that God cares about us, and that God does have a design for us, and we need to place ourselves under, as best we can, the Word of God and the will of God. And we need to seek Him and ask Him for wisdom. It's not easy today to live for Jesus. It never has been easy. And the place and the time that we must live for Jesus is at home. I want to say to you again, if this gospel doesn't work at your home, it doesn't work in your life. And so that is why, of course, Paul, when he, he spent three chapters, remember Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, talking to us about the riches of God given to us in Christ Jesus, this incredible grace of God to make his people new, to send his own son for us, and, and pour out the blessings of God so that we would be placed in Christ, and that Christ would be in us, and, and everything will be different for us, and that we have this thing called eternal life, where we will exist forever with a great God who loves. And we focused on that in those first three chapters. And then Paul turns a corner in chapter 4, verse 1, and says, Okay, now, 
then walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Because God has done all these incredible things for us, then, then our life has got to reflect the new life that Christ has given to us. And, and one more time, it must reflect the new life that Christ has given to us in our homes, in our closest and deepest relationships. And that is probably where m- most of us struggle the most, is how can this be real and how can this be powerful? How can we live for Jesus in our deepest, closest relationship with the people who know me best? How can I live for Jesus? And of course, that is what Paul has now come to. And the principles that he gave to us, the, the uh, imperative, the command, if you would, I draw your attention back to chapter 5 and verse 18. The command was, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. That it is the Spirit of God that is the one who actually comes into us. God knows we cannot do this alone. And in, in the power of our own strength and the wisdom of our, and our determination and discipline, we need the power of God. And so he sends his own, the Spirit of Christ, to live within us, to enable us to do what he calls us to do. Are you still with me? And then he says there are results, of course, of being filled with the Spirit, that, that, that it manifests, the Spirit of God in our life manifests himself in certain ways. Things happen to us. We sing and praise God. And, and in verse 21 of chapter 5, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Still with me? That the fundament, one of the fundamental basic principles of the new Christian life is a submissive heart. Is that we submit to one another. We follow Jesus in this. God is very concerned about how we live and how we walk. And he wants our life, our walk, to actually reflect his glory. He wants, he wants to, he gives us like this million dollar salvation and he doesn't want a five cent response. Right? He wants us to live like like how he's given us to live. And so what he does is he says, now look, be filled with the Spirit of God and now some fundamental kind of things. And then he says, after he says submit to one another, then he starts talking about wives and husbands and wives submitting to their husbands and how husbands now give themselves in love. That's submission. Boy, that's the deepest kind of submission. When you love so much, somebody so much, you will give your life for them. And then he talks in the verses we look at this morning about children and parents. And then he'll talk about slaves and masters. And we'll talk about that next week. And that's really about work and workplace and bosses and employees and those kind of things. But I want to remind you what the, what the fundamental is. Be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another. And then how do we live it out? And how do we live it out at home primarily? So we talked for three weeks about husbands and wives, and now we go on to chapter 6. So in your note sheet you have, let's jump right into it, the responsibilities of children. The first responsibility of children is to obey. Obey. If you're a parent, you're thinking, yeah, right? Of course, obey your parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, what's the word? Right, it is right. Children obey. Now, Paul, of course, is probably thinking in terms of children who are at home and under the care of their parents. And so those children are to obey. The word obey is a compound Greek word. It means to listen under. It's the idea of I hear something and then I place myself under what it is I hear. I hear and I obey. And we are to, children are to obey, see the words Paul wrote, in the Lord, in the Lord. He's not saying here, you only obey your parents if they're Christian parents. He's saying the child has a responsibility in the Lord, as the parents are in the Lord, to be, to obey the parent. 
So this is a relationship with Christ. One Bible translation reads like this. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. And Paul says, for this is right. Right. That is so basic and clear. I love it. You know, I mean, Paul is not saying, let me quote some experts for you here to try to persuade you about this. You know, I, I'm not, I, he's not saying I want to get some psychological, you know, introspection going here, some sociological studies to persuade you that this is the thing to do. He says it's right. It is right. And when you think about that, of course, of course it's right. When you think about for thousands of years and in every culture down through history, it has been right for children to obey their parents. And it's just, it seems like right, normal for us. And there are a couple places in the Word of God that talk about disobedience to parents. Well, one of them is Romans 1.30, where there's this long list of things that, that the Bible calls sin. And one of them is disobedience to parents. And over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about, he tells Timothy, in the last days there's going to be terrible times. And then he gives a description of what the culture is going to look like in these last days of terrible times. And right there in the list is disobedience to parents. It is right. It is right because this is the design of God. Because the design of God is for us to be filled with the Spirit and to have a submissive spirit. To learn how to submit to one another. How do you learn how to submit to to someone? How do you develop a submissive heart? How do you develop a submissive spirit? A willingness to serve other people? How do you, how do you, how are you shaped so you're not so controlled by me, myself all the time? How does this happen? It happens best if it's learned in the home. It happens best if you learned it as a child. The submissive heart is a character quality, of, if you will, that frees you up from the dictatorship of yourself. And it starts when you're a child. Learning to obey my parents is like the crucial beginning of learning the pattern of later life to, to learn a submissive spirit. There are so many things my parents tried to teach me. They said things like, share. Remember that? Share. Share your toys, Carl. My fleshly response is mine. Have you noticed that one of that's one of the first words that small children say? It's right after no. Um, <laughs> mine. My parents said, take turns. My response is me first. And my parents said to me, tell your brother you're sorry. You ever try to do that? Tell your brother you're sorry. And and then the clincher was, give him a big hug. (laughs) My response, it's his fault. I'm going to slug him as soon as you turn your back. My parents tried to teach me to learn to obey them, even when I didn't know the reason why. You ever do that with your dad? Why? Why do I have to do that? Why? Why? I don't know what your dad said. My dad said, yeah, because I said so. Which I never got, you know, I was like, but that's a fundamental thing, that one of the things that a child needs to learn how to do is to learn how to obey when they don't know the reasons why. And I know of a few parents who try to explain to all their children and reason why it is you need to do this. Good luck on that pathway, by the way. But we try. It is right, Paul said, it's right. 
Why is it right? It's right because it's God's own word. My friends, if you believe in this God, that's why I ask you, that you believe in a God who is an authority, who is powerful, who is creator and sustainer, whose will is right, whose design is best, do you believe in this kind of a God? Then when he speaks, then we submit to God's way. And when God says, this is right, this is the way I want you to live, then we say, this is right. Why is it right? Because God said so. And if God is holy and righteous and good and wise then what he says is going to be right. And we submit to it. Sometimes we don't even get it. Have you learned that through life, that sometimes God tells you to do stuff and you think, I don't know why I should have to do that. And some of the things that God says to do are like counterintuitive. They seem like they're upside down. And then it's only after you obey you begin to get the idea of why he even said that in the first place. I mean, this whole submission thing, the whole world is saying, you're nuts. You don't need to develop a submissive spirit. You need to develop an assertive spirit, right? We have to decide who is the authority in our life. God has a design. This is the way he orders life, and this is why it is right. And then you look at Jesus. We say we want to be like Jesus. We do, don't we? Okay, I just wondered if you're still Christians. Um, So what did Jesus do when he was a child? Remember that? Luke 2.51, he went down to Nazareth with his parents and he was submissive to them. He obeyed his parents. It is right also because God calls parents to represent him. One of the scariest things that anybody ever said to me when I was a young father was, they said, you know, this boy of yours is going to learn about God from you. And I thought, oh, wow. What What a responsibility is that? You know, I talked to a couple, you know, they're newborn, just two weeks old after first service. And I, and what a little life changer, you know. And it's such an incredible miracle from God. And I said, have you ever gazed into this little newborn baby's life and wondered and thought, this is a, an eternal living soul that has been entrusted to you. And we call him a child. He's your child. It's right because every child who lives at home needs to learn this whole submissive spirit. We need to learn how to obey our parents and have that obeying our parents move into the next thing that is the responsibility of a child. In your notes, the second thing that is the responsibility of children is to honor their parents, honor their father and their mother Paul said, honor your father and your mother because this is, go on if you would, this is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now you see the quotes around the word honor your father and your mother? That's because that's a quote from the Old Testament. It's right out of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? Uh, the Jews thought of them in terms of tables or, or tablets, if you will. The first table, if you will, is, is commandments about our responsibility to God. There is, you'll have no other gods and no idols and keep the Sabbath. They're all about our relationship to God. And the second group of commandments is about our relationship to people, about relationship to human beings. And the first of those commandments is honor your father and your mother. And then there's a promise attached to it. It is the first commandment in the Old Testament Mosaic Law that had a promise from God. Do this and you will have a blessing from it. 
And what that does, for every Jewish family who, who heard Paul say this or read Paul's letter, they would have immediately, God, this is one of the Ten Commandments. This has been one of the high priorities of our great God from the very beginning, of course. So that would be enough for the Jewish family. Of course, we will honor our father and mother. It's one of the Ten Great Commands. And obey your parents grows into that, doesn't it? Obey your parents as a small child. It, over a period of time, it develops and you begin to act, not just obey, not just submit to what it is they tell you to do. You actually begin to obey them or begin to honor them as your father and your mother. And it takes years for us to honor. Honor is about realizing the place and responsibility that God has given to my parents. And I respect them. I respect the God-given role that God has given to him. It's a heart motivation. It's not so much about doing things as much as it's a heart motivation of respect and love for this couple who have responsibility for me. And one more time, Jesus is the example here. More than once in the Gospels, Jesus went right after adult children who refused to honor their parents. And in one case, it was about providing them, taking care of them in their old age with money, their money, the money of children to take care of their parents. I recognize in a group this size, there's always people who, they say, but my parents were abusive. I mean, they were violent, abusive, and boy, you talk about, how can I honor them? Can I just ask you for a moment, if that is your experience, I want to say to you, I'm really sorry, for one thing. And and the other thing, welcome back, brother. Thank you very much. I didn't know if that was me, you know, if it was just like I'm losing it or what. Thank you. Thank you. Where was I? Oh, yeah. What if, what if your parents like failed miserably and you're having trouble honoring them? What, what is what do you do? Well, I want to suggest to you that there probably is some ways that you there are some things about them that you can still honor. You can respect them. But I, I want to say to you that this is not written primarily to those people who have this terrible family experience. It's written to all of us and our responsibility to honor our parents. But I have yet to find a child who cannot in some way honor their father and their mother, even if their parents failed miserably. And let me say to you, this is a responsibility that, that exists for your whole, for the whole lifeline lifetime of your parents this is something that happens to you after you leave home as well you honor your father and your mother you treat them with respect you care for them in their old age you do because this is the first commandment with the promise this is the will of god that and this is one of the things that orders our society and to keep that keeps families in the in the design that god has for us and there is a promise attached to it notice the promise that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth god attaches a promise to this command to honor your father and your mother it isn't as if god is saying look if you honor your father and your mother you're going to live to be 100 years old and you're going to be really prosperous guaranteed I mean, none of the promises of God for the old, in the Old Testament were like that. They were more like principles of, of blessing, that if you will follow the design of God, that you will, in your family and in your, in your community and in your nation, you will experience the very blessing of God. For us today, it tells us that, look, God has always had a design for the family unit, and it continues on today. That we are, as children, to honor our fathers and our mothers. And, and if we will do that, it will bring... It will bring blessing in our life. 
Now, I have a personal example of this. I've told you some of my story. Um, basically, when I was like 12 or 13, I just turned away from God. I started rejecting authority. I did it quietly. And, you know, I was one of those real quiet, rebellious types. You know, you have the open, you know, sort of vivid, you know, expressive. I was the one of the quiet, secret ones. Any of you know about this? Right? Living two or three different lives. You know, I still love my parents and I didn't want to embarrass them, but I just, at every opportunity, I rejected their authority. I did not want to live under the authority of my parents. I didn't want to live under the authority of school. I had a problem with authority. I mean, I mean, I, well, I didn't really have any problem with authority. I just didn't want people telling me what to do. <laughs> and, and so somewhere along the line, I just, I just went off. I mean, I just, you know, I continued living at home and, you know, and I ate my parents' food and all those kind of things, but I wanted to get out from underneath their authority as quickly as possible. And my dad was just fine with that. So I left, you know, trying to get away from the authority of my parents. And, you know, it's just fascinating what God did in my life. He just placed another authority over me. And I got up from underneath that one, and then he put another one over me. And then I got up and went that one. I mean, I have like four vivid illustrations of being put under authority that was worse than my parents ever thought of being. <laughs> the fourth one was the United States Marine Corps, which, which tends to handle your problem with authority. So... But anyway, I just want to just tell you, from the time I was 13 and the time I was in my early 20s, I was, I didn't honor my parents. I was like that prodigal son. And I left. And I rebelled against every kind of authority possible. Can I tell you what it did to me? It, it, it sort of falsely promised me freedom and happiness, and it did exactly the opposite. It created confusion in my heart. It brought a, a shame and a guilt that I did not handle. It brought a deception in my mind. I started, I started doing other sinful things that I never would have thought of doing because it was like that was the trajectory I was on. It brought compromise, frustration, unhappiness. I can remember laying my head down on my pillow in, in my late teens and trying to go to sleep and and feeling so incredibly miserable. And then the prodigal son. You remember the line in the story of the prodigal son where he's feeding the pigs and the, the line is, and he came to his senses. Remember that? That, my friend, is a gift from God when you come to your senses. And I got hammered. And I came to my senses and I repented. By the grace of God, he gave me what I needed to repent. I repented to God and I repented to my parents. I sought their forgiveness. I was 21, I think. It was eight long years that I wouldn't wish on anybody. I wasted so much, so much. But after I repented, can I tell you that God in his grace restored me to my parents and he restored me to himself? And he gave me, with my parents, more than 30 long years of me being able to honor them. Um, until the end of their life, I was able to honor my mother when she went down to death with cancer. I was able to honor them to try to get them up here and get them to introduce to so many of you who loved on them. My father developed Alzheimer's in the last nine years of his life, was 
and a steady decline of Alzheimer's. There's a terrible disease. Some of you know so intimately about it. I can remember my wife and I together agreeing. We, we just realized that God never said honor your children. He did say honor your father and your mother. Not, you're, not, you're supposed to bless your children. But you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the word of God says honor your father and your mother. And we had to make choices in those days between our own children and our father, my father and my mother. And, and I tried to help my own sons learn about that. As my father went down with Alzheimer's, after a while, he began not even to know who I was, which is excruciatingly painful. And I would go see him again and again and again. And I can remember Carol and I going one time, and we tried to see him as much as we could, and I wanted to see him more, and I expressed that to somebody. And, and, and that, I can remember that person just standing there, and Carol and I standing there, and, and, they, and they said, well, you know, he doesn't even know when you're here, and he doesn't know when the last time you visited, so why do you, why do you come so much? And I, was, I didn't know what to say. You know, occasionally preachers get speechless, I didn't know what to say. And my wife said, he may not know us, but we know him. And I thought, yes. This is how you honor your father. Even in Alzheimer's, you honor your father and your mother. That obeying your parents moves into honoring your father and your mother. And this is the design of God for us. I pray that my sons caught it. Let's move on. The responsibility of parents then, verse 4. The responsibility of parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You probably noticed here that Paul said, children obey your parents, and then he said, fathers. Hmm. Now, the Bible scholars look at this, and they, have a, they debate among themselves, actually, uh, about why Paul said fathers. Uh, some Bible scholars say, well, Paul would often say brothers when he meant brothers and sisters. He would just use the masculine to in, sort of incorporate all of mankind. And so he, some scholars think he's, when he says fathers here, do not, he's, he's really saying fathers and mothers. And then other scholars say, no, he, he is intentionally saying fathers. I side with that camp. I think he did it on purpose. I'll let you evaluate it for yourself, what was in Paul's mind. But I think he said fathers on purpose. Not because mothers don't have responsibility for their children. I mean, we know, right? So, yeah, we know. Anyway, so, why would he say fathers then? Well, one of the reasons was because in that time and in that culture, in a place like Ephesus, like in Rome and many other cities of the Roman Empire, fathers had absolute authority, absolute dominant authority. In fact, sometimes they practiced it. They were able to whip their children. They could sell their children into slavery if they were not pleased. Some fathers actually rejected their newborn children, particularly if they were girls rather than boys when they wanted a son. When a baby was born in in many Roman families, they would bring the child before the father, and if the father didn't pick it up, they would take the baby and sell it into slavery or let it die of exposure. I mean, this was a harsh society, and fathers were known to be harsh and, and strict disciplinarians, and they would often punish their sons. Some children were even put to death, and parents were never accused of a crime. So in this incredible environment, Paul writes this 
radical new thing. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You just have to sort of place yourself in that little church or in those homes when this letter was read and hear Roman fathers hear this for the first time and think, this is the new way of Jesus for me as a father. What an amazing thing. For us today, I think the word fathers is really important to emphasize. And I was trying to emphasize that some last week when Matt and I stood here and I said one of the key things my brothers is men lead. Men lead. Not that women don't lead, but men lead. So one more time, my brothers, I want to talk to you. And I want to, not because mothers don't have responsibility to do these very things that I'm going to talk to you about, but I want to say to you one more time, my brothers, men lead. Lead in your home. If it doesn't work with your wife and if it doesn't work with her children, you have a great need. So I want to say to you, I think he says fathers here because fathers so easily delegate responsibility. Have you noticed this? I mean, we have a, we have a tendency as fathers to delegate responsibility to the wife. I mean, she will take care of the children and she will teach them about Jesus and she will handle the problems and she will do the discipline. And then we tend to delegate... Uh, authority and responsibility to the Sunday school teacher, and then we tend to delegate responsibility to the youth pastor, and if our kids don't turn out the way, we tend to blame them. My brothers, this is, we need to know that God has given primary responsibility to fathers. Another reason I think he says fathers is because fathers are so easily distracted. Sometimes we're just distracted by work. One of the real difficulties is, is that you, as, a, as some of you are young families, you have young children, and some of you fathers are so wrapped up in career, you're trying to make it, and you're trying to provide, and you're trying to, you know, and, and it's so, it, it can be overwhelming. By the time you come home, you are just tired. I can remember my father saying to my mother, I have to make a living. And I knew exactly what he meant. He meant you take care of it. And I learned, learned about that. He only took care of it if it was really, really bad. My mom used to say, remember this line? Wait until your father gets home. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that too. Another thing that fathers do is we can just ignore our kids. We can, we can like forget them or ignore them as fathers because we're so wrapped up in other things. I think he says fathers also because fathers so easily lose their temper. My dad did, and I did. And I want to say to you, it's not right for a father to be too harsh. Not physically, not verbally. So many fathers treat their children like their fathers treated them. And for those of us who are a little older, the generations before us, so many of them had absolutely no role models. The whole idea of of being gentle and not exasperating your children, I mean, that's just like, what? I mean... My father, in our early years, would not have known about this. But God's plan has been and always will be that his plan and his will and his love and his heart need to be passed on to the children. And the primary responsibility, let me say it one more time, brothers, is to fathers. Is to fathers. If you have fathered a child, you are responsible He says, do not exasperate your children. I don't like that translation. It's literally, some of your Bibles read, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't make them so angry they don't know what to do. 
Don't provoke your children to anger. You say, how can children become provoked to anger? How can they become so embittered and frustrated? Do any of you remember a time when you were growing up that you were so angry with your father that you hated him at that moment? Now, I suppose that's, you know, that's almost a normal kind of response, particularly when, when, when our fathers discipline us. But, but I want to say it's so easily for a father to be harsh and, and out of control and unfair and, and reacting and too violent. And so many children have, that's the picture that they have of their father, and they were provoked. Some children are angry because the discipline was always done in anger. And discipline done in anger can crush the heart of a child and affect that child for years and years. Over the years, what I've seen right here at Cedar Mill Bible Church is parents, children, wives, and fathers tell me things. These are all personal things that I have heard here. Sometimes children are just crushed by the verbal abuse of their fathers. Fathers sometimes call their children names. You're stupid. You're worthless. You will never succeed. You will never learn. You never think. My friends, these kind of words are like knives and clubs in the heart of a child. They can cause scars that will maybe never leave a child. A father has absolutely no right to bruise and cut a child's heart like that. Sometimes it's absence of words of encouragement. And I tell you how many times I've heard, I never heard from my father that he was proud of me, ever. Oh, my brother, you ought to... One of the most powerful things you can say as a father is, I am so proud of you. And by the way, can I tell you that that never stops? My oldest son is 37. I on every chance I get, I tell him how proud I am of him. When I, when I, you know, he lives in New Hampshire. We have to go all the way back to New Hampshire to see our three little daughters. That's the only thing I hold against him. I'm so proud of him when I see how, what a good father he is and what a good husband he is. He works so hard. You know, and she stays at home and she does work when she can, but she's taking care of three little girls. It's just stunning experience for me. We raised three boys and I got three little girls and I just love to watch my son love his girls. It's just, I just, it's just incredible experience. I tell him again and again how proud I am of him. And my other sons also the same thing. I just, you know, and sometimes you have to look for something, right? But you can always find something, right? I mean, you've kept this job for two weeks now. I'm so proud of you. You know what I'm saying. Don't let that little humor thing take away from the importance of what I'm trying to say to you. My, my brothers, if you have not told your child in a recent period of time how proud of them you are, you need to fix it. You need to fix it this week. You need to write it in a letter, handwritten Handwritten letter. Email's okay. Handwritten. You need to call them on the phone and tell them how proud you are. When something happens in their life, you need to tell them how proud you are of them and tell them why. 
This is, this is a thing that begins to undo some of the failings of us as fathers, but it ought to be a characteristic of every single one of us. So many fathers never admit when they're wrong. Have you done that? I have sat each one of my three sons down and begged for their forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made. I did it more with the two oldest because I needed to do it more with the two oldest. I just want to say to you that this is one of the characteristics of a godly father is to seek the forgiveness of a child. Another thing that fathers do that wound the heart of a child is we simply ignore our kids sometimes. We're just too busy. Uh, or or we, don't, we ignore what's going on in, in their life and they come to us and they want to tell us or, or we don't show up at their games or their the events or... And one of the things that that does, you ask our youth pastors, one of the things that that does, particularly with fathers and daughters, it drives a daughter to seek attention in other places. This is one of the primary reasons for teenage immorality, by the way, is because the kids are trying to find affection and they're trying to find attention and they should have got it from dad and mom, of course, too. Another thing that we do as fathers, sometimes we treat our children as if they're adults and they're not adults. Their brains are not even wired yet. You know that, don't you? Right? I mean, it takes like, what are they saying, 22 or 23 years old before everything is like connected right. You know? And so if you're thinking their brain's not properly functioning, you're right. So, And yours wasn't either, by the way. But we treat them like adults when they're children. How about comparison? Do you have a father who compared you to someone else? My older brother, four years older than me, was a straight-A student. I will never forgive him for that. <laughs> and on rare occasions, my, my father would begin with the words, I wish you, and I knew where he was going, and he would cut it off. But I knew he wished that I would be like my brother. Favoritism. Remember the story of the Old Testament story of Jacob and his sons, Joseph? The coat of many colors. And I mean, you read that story and you'll see that I think if you look very deeply, you'll see some of the deep dysfunction of that family had to do with the favoritism of the father when he chose a son or two and favored them. Or how about this one? Using love as a reward. Oh, we can be so good at that sometimes where if a child is performing well, then we really are affectionate and loving and give them a lot of attention. And if they're not performing very well, that, what that does is that teaches a child from the very beginning that love is not unconditional. And if a child ever needs to learn about unconditional love, he needs to learn it from his, their fathers and their mothers, that love is unconditional. Even if you're failing in this, I love you. I don't want you to fail, but I love you. Are you, are you tracking with me here today? Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The words train them up is literally the idea of nourishing. It's the same word that's used earlier in, in Ephesians 5.29 that talks about no man ever you know, hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. He nourishes. It's the same word here. These, these words that say bring them up is literally the word nourish. We are to nourish our children and bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's about very careful concern about their growth, especially in their relationship with God. 
training, of course, is all about the education of a child, but not just the, like the intellectual education, not about school. It's about, it's about everything to have to do with their life. You look at the verse, remember, it says where Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You dissect that verse and you'll find about what a child needs to become and where the, where, how a child needs to be trained in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. This is not primarily about punishment. You see this training and, you know, and instruction is not about discipline in the, in the punishment kind of sense. It's more about the positive thing that a father needs to do in the life of his children. To instruct is about verbal. You've got to talk to your kids about God and about God's ways. And, and of course, it's all about example. I wish I could tell you how many, how many times I've heard... My father is a different person when he comes to your church than he is at home. This ought not to be, my brothers. If we cannot model this at home, where is the power of the gospel for us? Some of us as fathers need to back up and realize again who we are and what we've been called to. That if God has entrusted us with this incredible thing called a child we have a responsibility that is staggering and it staggers us children need positive training in every everyday life and it's got to be every day you remember the verse um put deuteronomy 6 7 up here i think it's the next slide this is the this is the word of moses to the children of israel about god's law has been given to you and if you follow god's law you would do well on the land you'll live there a long time and 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 he spoke particularly to fathers and he says you've got to impress them these the will of god on your children you've got to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up you see that? That that's normal life. That's every day. This is not about a, a, a devotional once a week. This is about every day talking about the will of God and the purpose of God and the design of God and, and, and what it is that God is doing and, and how are we now in our family, in our home, and how are you? What, are you? what do you need and what are you struggling with and what are you asking God to do? And I mean, this is every day, every day, every day. Just normal life. Another verse that helps me is 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. And this, this is the place where Paul talked about how he came to the church at Thessalonica and how he, how he acted among them. And he gives us a clue about how he thinks about what fathers should do. Notice the words. We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Notice the words. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. My friends, this is what a father does. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live a life worthy of God. It has been the will of God for thousands of years for God to pass down his will and his heart and his love to fathers and from fathers to their children generation after generation after generation. And that's how we got it, my friends, because this has happened And then back again to, to the verse, the words of the Lord. Can, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want you to think about the words of the Lord for a minute. The most vivid thing that that does for me is that that the picture of that is that when I am with my children, the Lord is right there behind my kids. Or the Lord is behind me when I'm disciplining. Or when I'm instructing, the the Lord is behind my child. 
And the Lord is behind us. The Lord is present in my family. The whole training and instruction is of the Lord. It's all about the presence of God. I, oh, I wish, I wish I would have got this so much years and years ago. My own sons would have seen more of Christ in me if I would have known that Jesus is present every single time that I love my kids or don't love them. Or when I'm called to discipline or teach or train, the Lord is right there present all the time. It's all about being filled with the Spirit. It's all about submitting to one another. It's all about my life, invest in the life of a child, responding, honoring, and caring for parents. It's about me submitting to them. It's about my time. There is no substitute for time. Don't buy the whole quality time baloney. It's about time. Down through the years, I have never had a father of Cedar Mill Bible Church ever tell me I wish I would have spent more time at the office. I have had many fathers say, I wish I would have spent more time with my children. I am one who joins them now. For me, the office was church. So it was spiritual. My, fa- my friends, fathers, if you have small children at home, I just want to tell you what you already know. But I have to say to you, you only have these years. You only have these years. And they're crucial in the life of your children. You will never get them back. And you will never regret the time and effort and energy and love and patience and the time that you spent with your children. Fathers, if you believe this is so, say amen. Amen. It is so true. I'll give you the last line. God has designed the fullest blessings of life when we willingly submit to one another in order to pursue his best for the other person. God has designed the fullest blessings of life when we willingly submit to one another in order to pursue his best for the other person. You know the thing that I'm learning about submission, even as we're going through this, is I'm learning that God's design for submission goes in all directions. I used to think of submission primarily about authority and submission being about downward, about we submit to those who are in authority above us. But the reality is that the Bible teaches that submission goes in all directions and that we are constantly submitting all the time in all kinds of relationships. And if you deeply love someone, if you're married to someone, then you submit to them every day, don't you? You look at them and you care about them. You, you, you care about what their need is and you submit to their needs. You do what it is you can to be a servant leader if that's the role you have. You submit to the people who are under, quote, under you, and you submit to the people who are above you. You submit to peers, to spouse, to wife, to husband. You submit to children. You submit to employees. You submit to neighbors. You submit to friends. In fact, a good friendship always has mutual submission going on. And my friends, I just want to tell you that the more you do this, guess what? The more you're like Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve. And he said, the greatest among you will be a servant. So, if you had parents, there were good parents. Nobody had perfect parents. Nobody. But if you had parents that were good parents, and you know that they tried and that they loved you, and even with their failings, you know that you had good parents. 
Can I say to you, you ought to be so grateful to God for that. And you ought to work hard at honoring them in these days of your life, doing whatever it is you can to honor them. But one thing you ought to do is you ought to be to say, thank God for what he gave to me. If your parents really failed you, I want to say to you, I think there are still ways that you can honor your father and your mother. Look for them and do what God tells you to do. It is not about denying truth or about rejecting reality or about sweeping something under the carpet or you know ignoring injustice or unfairness. I just want to say to you, do what you can. If you are a parent and you know, you look back on the years of you raising your children and you know you've failed pretty significantly, Can I say to you, I think one of the things that God probably wants you to do is he wants you to talk to your kids about it and seek their forgiveness and to be really, really honest and to change the future in this generation by what it is you do. You need to submit to them and their relationship to you now in these days. And then a word to grandparents. Some of you are grandparents. Can I tell you that I think grandparents have great spiritual power in the life of their grandchildren? I've discovered that just a little bit myself, and I've seen it again and again and again in decades in this church, the power of spiritual grandparenting. Can I tell you that if you are grandparents, you need to do two things. One thing is you need to invest spiritually in the life of your grandchildren. Beyond spoiling them, you need to invest spiritually in their life. And the other thing you need to do is you need to help your children They have a tougher job than we ever had, grandparents. It's difficult these days to be a family and to raise godly children. In all of this, I say, will you pray about this, about relationships and family and honoring and obeying and and trusting and parents and grandparents? Will Will you talk to God personally about you and who it is you have and what your experience has been? Will you will you talk to God and what I think will happen to you, I believe will happen to you, if you will talk to God, God will tell you something to do. And if he tells you something to do, do it. Okay. Um, Matt Bowen sent me his notes that he's going to preach tonight. And at the end of um, his message, he had a quote. And I want to share it with you. He said I could share it with you. It's sweet. The truth is, is that you might look at your family situation and you might think, Oh, man, I'm, I failed. I was not a great father. And I didn't have a great father. And I'm not even sure what a great father is. I just want to say to you that there is a great father. There is a true father who has perfect love. You know that, don't you? And that someday all this family, this, all this failure and weakness and, you know, and, and is going to be behind us. And we are, we are going to be face to face with the perfect father. The one who has loved the true father. The one by which every other father is to follow but he is truly the loving father you know that don't you and we will do that because of the obedience of the true son i love this finding ourselves in the love of the true father because our hope is in the obedience of the true son do you get this and that is why we take communion of course because there is a loving father that we will spend eternity with and we will do that because of the obedience of the true son who gave himself for us So I invite you in just a moment to come and take a piece of bread and a cup and to return to your seat and think about the the love of the true Father 
and the obedience of the true son. And if you are like me, you're going to need to worship and thank him for that. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now at this moment, will you help us in these final minutes we're together? Thank you, Father, to help for these, helping these people to just pay attention and focus and listen and be willing to hear from you. Now we ask, will you help us to worship? Will you help us to please you by what it is you see in our hearts? Will you tell us again about how perfect you are, how great you are, how your love is, is true love? And how the obedience of the Son of God is true obedience. And because of Him, because of you, we have everything. Help us to worship now. We pray in the name of the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Tables are open. Come.